right. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to have you guys with us. And we are telling a story. And I'm going to get to do something today that I've always wanted in the history of my life uh, to do or to see when it came to flannel graphs. Uh, but I'm going to not spoil that surprise just yet. Uh, that's going to that's gonna come uh, down the road. But today we are going to be talking about this dude. And uh, this dude's named John. And he's not just any John, because there's a lot of Johns. That is uh, John the Baptist, John. And uh, John the Baptist, he had, uh, he had started a ministry, he had some people following him, and he had, uh, he's related to Jesus, and he was talking to people about how they need to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And then at one point, Jesus shows up, and he's like, hey, that's the dude I've been talking about. Like, that's Jesus, here we go. And uh, so he's going, he's talking and talking, and he would preach all over the place, but he would be in Jerusalem uh, a whole lot. Well, there was a guy in Jerusalem uh, that he would, uh, he would really, really point out in his sermons. And that's this dude. This dude's name was Herod. And uh, Herod, he, uh, he got, uh, well, that was, that was, that's part of his first name. Herod, he, he would get pointed out, and there was a reason that he would get pointed out. Um, and that was because of this person that he would get pointed out in the sermons. And this person, uh, her name was Herodias. Now, if those names sound very close to each other, they are. And there's a reason, and we'll get to that later. Um, but these two had gotten married. And uh, John was like, hey, that ain't right. Like, there's reason. You guys shouldn't have gotten married. You shouldn't be married, shouldn't be married, shouldn't be married. And it seemed like every time John would be talking in public... And he would see one of them too. He would stop his sermon and he would point at them and say, hey, you two shouldn't be married. Shouldn't do it. Well, Herodias, I mean, it just would make her so angry. And she would go to her and she'd be like, listen, we got to do something. He keeps doing this. You need to arrest him. Like something needs to be done. And uh, Herod's like, oh, okay, 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 okay. And she's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, eventually... She gets on uh, Herod enough that she has, uh, she has John arrested. So John gets arrested, bam, arrested. How do you like that? <laughs> uh, arrested. And so uh, John's got some disciples. His disciples come and visit him, and uh, they're just going to talk to him through the window there. That he's all arrested. And they're like, hey, hey, John, how's it going? And John's like, yeah, it's going good. John, can we do anything for me? Tomorrow? Yeah, you can do something for me. Oh, good, because John, we love you. We'll do anything that we can do for you. What can you do? It says, hey, we need you to go ask Jesus a question. Okay. He goes, uh, here's the question I need you to ask Jesus. They're like, oh, 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 oh John, are you going to ask us to go ask Jesus to bail you out? No, 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 that's not, the, no, 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 that's not what I want you to ask. Oh, do you want, you know, do you want us to ask him how long you're going to be in here? What the plan is? No, no, no. That's not what I want you to ask. Okay. Well, what do you want us to ask on? I want you to ask him, is he the one that I thought he was, the one we've been waiting on, or is he not and there's someone else coming? So I was like, uh, <laughs> awkward, because you told everybody he was the one. And they're like, John, we can't, we can't ask Jesus this. He's like, yeah, ask Jesus this. So they go and they find Jesus. Jesus, who, by the way, was nowhere near where John was in prison. And they go, hey, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, what's up? As if he didn't know what they were getting ready to ask. Uh, hey, I don't know if you've heard about your cousin, John. He's in jail. Yeah, I heard something about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he's got a question for you. 
Okay, ask away. Well, Jesus, maybe, maybe, maybe we should ask in private. There's a lot of people around. Maybe we should, no, 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 just ask. It's okay. They said, well, well, John wants to know, uh, are, are you the one that he thought you were? Or, or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus says, uh, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> because as we all know, anytime Jesus is asked questions in scriptures, he almost never answers it. <laughs> but he's like, I'm not going to answer that question. Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Tell John. Hey, John, look around at the things that are happening. They're like, Jesus, that's it? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's it. Look around at the things that are happening. So they go back. They say, hey, John, we talked to Jesus. He's like, great, great. Did he answer the question? Is he the one? Well, about that. You know how Jesus is. He, uh, he didn't really answer the question. But he told us to tell you to look around. Now, we all, all of us have doubts from time to time, right? No matter how long you have been a Christian, right, there are still going to be things that just don't make sense to you when they happen, right? And there are going to be times that God doesn't act in the way that you believed God should act. You know, one of the, uh, one of the great things about growing up and going to Sunday school and these types of things is that, you know, you're taught from an early age, God loves you, he's on your side, he's gonna come through for you, he will protect you, he will provide for you. And that's a great lesson to learn. And then you get to be an adult and then all of a sudden it feels like God's not really on your side and it doesn't seem like you're being provided for and things are happening and you certainly don't feel protected and you're wondering, wait a minute, where's God? <laughs> where's God? Where's God? And in those moments, doubt will creep in. If you have not had a moment in your faith where you doubted if the whole thing was real, I don't know that you're really uh, investing in your faith enough <laughs> because it's going to happen, right? And the issue as a Christian for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers isn't, are you ever going to doubt if it all is legit? The question is, what do you do with those doubts? So we're going to start out uh, this story. We're going to actually look at this story in two different uh, gospels. We're going to look at it at Mark first and then going into Matthew. We're going to be starting in Mark chapter 6. Now let me give you a little bit of background uh, to this story. So a guy named Herod, not, not that Herod, a different Herod, his dad Herod, had been put in charge of Israel. And as long as Herod kept the money flowing to Rome and kept the peace amongst the people, he could pretty much do whatever he wanted. They didn't care. As long as they got their money coming and they didn't have to worry about quelling some kind of uprising in Jerusalem, right? And Herod was insane. Like, had there been certification of insanity back then, he'd have gotten it, right? Listen, he, here's some things that he did, just to give you an idea. He murdered his wife, right? He, he murdered three of his own children, and he murdered his mother-in-law, which maybe some of you have contemplated at some point, but eh, you still, you didn't do it. You didn't do it, right? But he went and did it, right? And he was hated, hated by the Jewish people, right? He ordered at one point that every boy two years and younger in the country be killed. That's not gonna win you any fans, right? He knew he was hated, 
And so there was a point late in his life that he got sick and knew that his life was coming to an end. And so what he did was he wanted to make sure that on the day of his death, there was mourning and tears in the streets. And he knew they weren't going to be mourning for him. And so he had a whole bunch of the Jewish leaders arrested and thrown in jail and gave the command that on the day of my death, all of these people are to be murdered. So that there will be mourning in Jerusalem when I die. Well, <laughs> the people who arrested those uh, the Jewish leaders and uh, were uh, responsible for carrying out those murders on the day that Herod died, uh, instead of killing all of them, they just freed them and let them go. And so on the day of Herod's death, there was great rejoicing in the streets, right? But Herod, when he died, he, he didn't want to give the little kingdom that he had built to just one person. So he divided the kingdom into three different parts. And he gave them to each, one to each of his three remaining sons. In other words, sons, you're the ones that lasted and I didn't kill you. So here you go. You each get a piece of the kingdom. Now, one of the guys' name was Herod Antipas. And that was our, that was our Herod here that we're talking about today. And just, just I said there was the connections in their names. Herod put his name, Herod, in all of his kids <laughs> and extended family's names because that's how into himself he was, right? So, so there, was, there was Herod uh, Antipas. He got the area in Galilee where Jesus was from, right? Herod Philip was another son, but he didn't get any parts of the kingdom. Um, but this guy, this guy married his niece, who was also Herod Antipas's niece, right? And her name was... Herodias. Herod See, even if you were a girl, you got Herod in there. <laughs> it was Herodias, right? Now, apparently, she was a knockout, and Herod Antipas was really envious of Herod Philip, right? And, 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 and you know, so he, on one of his visits, now, all of this history, you're going to read through the Bible, and you're going to be like, I don't see any of this. That's true. But there is history, written history, outside of just the Bible that you can find all of this information, but, but he, he uh, Antipas, um, apparently Antipas was a knockout, or uh, Herodias was a knockout, so Antipas was envious of Philip, right? And on one of their visits together, where Antipas had gone to visit Philip, he convinced Herodias, hey, my niece, leave my brother who you married, which is weird, and come and be with me, which is also weird, Right? <laughs> Now, so, so she leaves her husband to marry his brother, right? Now, that kind of thing may go on in your family, but in this period of time, that was frowned upon, right? That's not something that you, not, I didn't really think it went on in your family. Man, you guys are, I don't, whew. It's hard with the mask. I can't see if there's a smile or if you're just peering at me over the, all right, here we go. I'm just going to pretend you're all got big grins on your face. Right, so, so here he was. He married his sister-in-law, who was also his niece, right, who was his brother's wife. <laughs> that, I did, the Bible's fascinating, right? You pick it up and you read it. This is the kind of stuff that you find. Meanwhile, there's the preacher in the land. There was John, who didn't mind mixing current events into his sermons, and he was a fearless communi communicator. Oftentimes in his sermons, John would take on the Pharisees, 
right? Challenge them, call them out. And when he heard about Antipas marrying Herodias, it became a mainstay in his sermons and he would mention them by name. And every time he saw Antipas, he would yell, you married your brother's wife, right? And she got sick of it. She didn't like it. Now, John had a key role into everything that God was up to at this point, right? John's role was he was sent to announce Jesus as the Messiah. In fact, he was the first one to recognize Jesus as such, right? First of all, you have the, you have the story where earlier when John's mom and Mary, Jesus' mother, were pregnant and they met together, and John, recognizing Jesus, the Messiah, in the womb of Mary, leapt inside of his mother's womb, which is a big deal. But then John, as he's saying, hey, 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 I'm baptizing people later on. He's baptizing people. Say, get ready, get ready, get ready. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. There came a time when John stopped everything because Jesus had come over the hill and was coming close to the crowd. And he stopped. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. And he finished the sentence, who takes away the sins? Of the world. And one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, asked John, you know, they, they said, John, John, are, are you the Messiah? And John's like, no, 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 no. I'm not even worthy to lace the sandals of Jesus. Now, Herod Antipas, he, he didn't, here he is, he didn't mind hearing John speak. Even though John would point him out in the sermons, it, he didn't mind, there was something comforting about John to him. Because he knew, he, knew he knew that John was a righteous guy. And, and when he wasn't on the, hey, you married your sister kick, a lot of the things he said really struck a chord with Antipas. Right, and so he, he, he really was resistant. But his wife, Herodias, was just like, you need to arrest him, arrest him, arrest him, arrest him, arrest him. And so finally, he gave in and he said, okay, 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 okay. And he had John arrested. This is where we're going to pick up the scriptural account of the story. Mark 6, verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. And he did this because of Herodias. And then look at the next line, the way, the way they write this. I love it. They rubbed it in even when they were writing. Because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. <laughs> it wasn't enough to just call him out whenever they uh, saw him in real life. They, they had to write it in there, right? For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to. Because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. And when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Herod knew that John was right. But he still liked to listen to him. He knew, Herod knew he had broken God's law, yet he gave in to the pressure from his wife and had John put in jail. Now, here's where the story gets, um, gets really practical for us. This is where, where it kind of connects with our story. Uh, is this, is that here's John, who's a major player in the story. I mean, he's even related to Jesus, right? And he isn't just some guy... John was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. You can go back to the Old Testament and find prophecies, and they are talking about John. Like, he fulfills that. He was a significant person playing a key role. He was to announce Jesus to the world as the Messiah, 
right? And he was even okay with his own followers leaving him to follow Jesus. At one point, his disciples came to him and was like, hey, this Jesus guy, he's getting a big following. His disciples like, we should do something. And John's like, no, we shouldn't do something. In fact, you should probably go follow him. Well, wait, but won't that take away some of your influence? Your crowd's getting smaller? He's like, I'm fine with that because I'm here to point to Jesus, right? And then one day he wakes up in jail, right? Game over. He's out of the picture, all because of Herodias who had done the wrong thing. So here he is, he's looking out the bars of his prison cell, which we got there as he's, as he's looking out of that. And, and, uh, <laughs> and guess, what? guess what happens? He begins to have doubts. The guy who is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, it's his sole job to announce Jesus as the Messiah, begins to have doubts if Jesus is the Messiah, right? And if you were to read the whole New Testament, the last guy that you would expect in the whole story to doubt would be John. But the doubt creeps in. Then one day, some of, some of John's followers visit him. John asks him to send a message to Jesus. He says, I need to know the answer to this question. And here's where we jump over to Matthew's version to pick up the story. Matthew 11. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect something else? Now, I guarantee you in that moment, his guys talking to him through the bars in prison were, <laughs> they were like, wait, what? What? Yeah, ask him, ask him, are you the one or was I wrong? And they were probably like, John, we can't ask him that question. We just can't. John, it's because of you that everybody thinks he is the one. You told us that, right? It's because you, remember that whole Lamb of God stuff? Take away the sins of the world. You made a big deal of it. Jesus stood back there waving, you know? Like, come on, remember, we can't ask him that. That would be terrible. But all of a sudden, this giant of the faith begins to doubt. He begins to doubt. Now, I've got to be honest with you. This really helps me out. This helps me out. Because at some point in our life, we are going to get ripped out of our familiar context. And we are going to find ourselves uh, in a new environment, in a new situation. And because of what the situation is, doubt will begin to creep in. And we will begin to wonder, is Jesus who he said that he is? Right? And those environments will be far away from environments of inside churches where everything's kind of momentum builds. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Or small groups where everybody is kind of on the same page, you know, or camps or retreats. For most of us, the doubt won't even be uh, whether or not Christianity is right or wrong or if people are attacking it. A lot of us, the doubt will be like, this whole thing just doesn't even seem relevant. Like in the world that I'm living in and the situations that I'm facing, it just doesn't, it just doesn't really seem relevant to me. And, and perhaps, maybe perhaps you are in a negative environment. Maybe God is answering everybody's prayers around you but yours. Right? Maybe you're in a relationship that is just absolutely falling apart and you don't see it lasting much longer. 
Maybe you you lost a job and you just can't find anything else. And you begin to wonder, is any of this stuff true? Or is all of this really just some man-made coping mechanism so that we can have a tool to use to make it through this thing called life? And while we're on the subject of this, <laughs> uh, here we go. Maybe I'm going to get fired up again like a couple weeks ago. While we're on the subject of this, there is something very self-centered when we begin to doubt our faith. There's something very self-centered about our doubts. And here's what I mean by that. You can see some story about there was some big natural disaster and 200,000 people died overseas or there was an invasion of some village and so many people were killed. And, and, and to you as a Christian sitting over here, it's like, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a prayer request. I'm going to pray for those people. That God intervene. That's a prayer request. I lose my job. Ooh, I start to doubt. That maybe shakes my faith. Is God really looking out for me, right? Somebody else's child gets sick and is nearing death. Oh, that's just tragic. I'm going to pray. God intervene. That's a prayer request. Your child? Hmm. Foundation of your faith begins to crumble when you're in that situation, right? Why is it that your issue, your issue is a prayer request, but my issue begins to shake my faith? And if we're honest with ourselves, that's true with most of us. When we see things terrible going on with other people, that's a prayer request. When things are terrible going on with us, the doubt begins to creep in. You see, there's something very self-centered about our doubt, but it's really difficult to see that when you're in the middle of the circumstances. We're too caught up in the emotion of it all. But John had heard. John had heard of many other people in prison. I mean, the Romans rested a lot of people, right? John, John, had, John had prayed for people in prison. Right? John had visited people in prison. But all of a sudden, when John's in prison, he began to doubt his faith. He began to doubt Jesus. Is he really who he said he was? Right? And you have to, he, he says, he gets his guys, he's like, you've got to ask. I'm having these doubts. Like, ask Jesus, are you the one? Now, now, Jesus' answer to John is very interesting because what he didn't say, which I wish he would have said, what he didn't say was, hey, tell John tonight we're busting him out. <laughs> like, I'm going to come through for him. Of course I'm the one. Of course. He didn't say that. Or, or if he at least would have said, hey, here's the whole plan. I'm going to lay out the big picture for you to tell John so that when he knows the big picture and how everything works, he'll be okay in his little circumstance. Because honestly, some of us, we would be okay. Some of our prayers in those moments are, God, I don't even need this fix. If I could just see how it works in the bigger picture, I, I can endure this. But he didn't even give him that. Instead, he says the only thing that honestly would really help John in the moment. Here's what he says, verse four of Matthew. He says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. <laughs> To which John's disciples were probably like, yeah, okay, great, Jesus. We'll report back to John what we hear and see. But that wasn't the question. 
The question was, are you the one? Are you the one? <laughs> and he looks at him and he goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go tell him what you see and hear. Well, okay, but are you the one? Go back and tell him what you see and hear. Well, what is it that they see in here? It's this, verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. And they're like, that's it? And he's like, yeah, that's it. That is it. So you aren't going to tell us if you're the one, are you, Jesus? Nope. Jesus says, I want John's faith fastened not to what is happening to him, but to what is happening around him, what I am doing around him in the bigger picture. That's what I want his faith attached to, not the individual circumstance of his life. I'm not going to explain why, but that is the only way for him to maintain his faith inside of that prison cell. Now, let me tell you why this response from Jesus is so powerful. Uh, here's why. Because in the middle of the prison cell experience, the rest of Christianity doesn't seem to matter. And when you are in the middle of a circumstance in your life, that it's some kind of situation or tragedy or things are falling apart and your faith is being shaken, all the other stuff about Christianity, all the different, you know, all the different theological debates and the whether we accept this or not that and the divisions between all the denominations, all of that stuff doesn't matter, right? It's about what you are going through in the minute and is this, is Jesus who he says that he is? And the temptation, the temptation that we all fall into is kind of trying to look around in our circumstance, our immediate prison circumstance, and John would be looking around in his cell and like why he got arrested and why he's just sitting there and try and find God in it. And the problem is, is that we are trying to look for God in something many times in which God's like, yeah, you're paying too much attention to your own circumstance. You need to lift your head and look around. You need to look around, look up and out. And for you, many of you, that means when you find yourself in the situations where the doubts are creeping in, where God isn't behaving the way you think God should behave, for many of you, that means you need to look back into your past and specifically remember times that God was there. That God did come through for you. That things worked out in such a way that as you looked at them, you had to come to the conclusion that there was no other way that this worked out except for God. And listen, if we are looking for to recognize those moments, we all have those moments in life. But here's one of the things that I fear is that many of us, we have those moments. And if we do recognize them, we're like, wow, that was awesome. And then we get on with life and we completely forget them. It's one of the reasons why it is so valuable for you to on a regular, not even a daily basis, just on a weekly basis, pull out a journal and be like, what happened with me and God this week? And it can be as little as, this week was terrible, where is God? If that's your week, that's your week. But if it was, oh my goodness, God came through in this situation. And you write that down. 
Because when you find yourself in the prison experiences, when your faith is being shaken and you're wondering, is this legit? You can pick that up and you can go back through your past and you can be like, no, he is who he says he is. God has come through for me in the past. But if we, if we don't do anything to actually remember those, we're not going to be able to draw back on those moments. We're not going to be able to. We need to look out, right? Because listen, we are, we are, and I hate to burst some of your bubbles, but we are just a small speck in a sea of Christianity over the past 2,000 years who have placed our trust in God over and over again. And God is still at work and God can still be trusted even here in our prison cell experiences where our faith is beginning to be shaken. And there are days when we don't see it. But we can still look at the larger picture and come to the conclusion, God can still be trusted. And that was Jesus' answer to John. Like, look, look around you. Look at the things I've done. Look at what is happening. Look, now, now, now here's something really interesting, right? After the guys leave, right, and they give John the answer that John really, <laughs> that, that wasn't really an answer. Here's what Jesus says to the crowd that had gathered around him that witnessed the events, right? The people who witnessed this were probably saying, wait, John asked that question? Like, what in the world is happening? And so they were probably murmuring. And after John's disciples left, Jesus says this to the people around him. Verse 11, he says, I tell you the truth. Amongst those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. To which if we look at this story, we're like, wait, 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 wait. But he was a doubter. He doubted who you were. And Jesus says, that's okay. I don't kick doubters out. Right? Just because you have a doubt doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. John is the greatest man born so far, and he doubted, which I look at that, and I'm like, my goodness, am I encouraged? Whew. If the guy described as the greatest ever born up to that point will have doubts, then I don't feel guilty about my doubts. Right? So we pick up our doubts and we carry them with us. And we look around and we see other things that God's doing around us and we remember his path's faithfulness. And we say, listen, I, I have this doubt. I may still be carrying this doubt, but I still believe. And Jesus says, Jesus said, well, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Because look at what he said before he said, I tell you the truth. He said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on my account. In other words, he says, listen, there are times that I'm going to say things. There are times I'm going to do things. And there are times I'm going to not do things that will give you every reason to doubt and fall away. But if you don't, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Extra credit to the person who doesn't lose their faith over something I do or do not do. And they're probably thinking like, wait, wait, what? Yeah, I'm going to do some things that are going to trip you up. I'm going to say some things that will cause you to wince. Right? I'm not going to do some things you think I should do. But blessed are you if you don't lose faith because of it. So here's how, here's how this whole story ends. 
right? You ready for us to wrap it up in a nice little bow? Here's how the story ends. Herodias sends her daughter. Herod's having a party. Herodias sends her daughter, who apparently was a knockout, to dance before Herod and his friends. And I'm pretty sure the dance was not a ballet. (laughs) And she sent her to dance because she wanted to get Herod into a state where he wasn't thinking straight. And she was going to pull one over on him. Right? And Herod is in such a frenzy that after her dance, he says to her, I will give you anything. And I could get, that's a whole nother sermon (laughs) we won't get into now. But Herodias tells her daughter, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And although Herod knew it was wrong, although he knew it was wrong, he had made the promise in front of all of his men and he couldn't back out. So he gives the order and here it is, what I've waited for, for all of my Flannel graph history from a child young in school. I want the graphic visual of what it really looked like. Soldier brings him the head of John the Baptist. This righteous man, the forerunner to Christ, lost his life. had unanswered prayers. You don't, think, you don't think John was praying to be out of prison, to be delivered from that situation? All because of a guy who couldn't do the right thing because of the jealousy of a woman when the two had done everything wrong. And they gave Herodias the head of John the Baptist. And later on, another man who knew the right thing to do but didn't have the courage to do it held Jesus' fate in his hands. And he looks and he says, I wash my hands of this man's blood. And he allowed the son of God to be crucified on a cross. And through John's unanswered prayers and him losing his life, through Jesus being crucified on the cross as as, as an innocent person, God never left the throne. He could still be trusted. And the death of those two kicked off a spiritual revolution that would encompass the globe. And today, we still talk about the courage of John the Baptist because God won and can still be trusted. So the question, the question isn't, are you going to have doubts? You're going to. The question is, is what do you do with that doubt? And a piece of the answer that we found today is you lift your eyes from the focus on your immediate circumstances. You look at what is happening around you and where God is moving and is working. And you go back and you remember God's faithfulness in your past. The answered prayers, the changes in your life, the habits that were broken the things that have no other explanation other than God, and in those things, outside of your immediate circumstances, you will find your faith. 
And the doubts will start to dissipate long before there's clarity about what God may or may not be up to. Because Jesus promised, blessed are you even if you do not lose faith because of something that I do or do not do on your behalf. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, one of the one of the passages, one of the verses that stands out to me every time I come across it is, as Jesus said in the New Testament, in, their life, in this life, there will be troubles. Lord, we're going to face them. We're going to have the circumstances. We're going to have those moments where things are falling apart around us. And Lord, it is only natural that we begin to doubt who you are and if you can be trusted. But Lord, I pray today that through looking at this story of John the Baptist, Father, that we can remove the layer of guilt that we have over, first of all, feeling the doubt and then the guilt that comes upon us if we think about actually admitting it loud to other Christians and people around us. Lord, remove that layer of guilt so that we can, A, know that you are not rejecting us or look down upon us or are disappointed in us because of our doubts, but also that we can feel free to discuss these things with other people and not be judged by them as well. And so that we can then lift our heads out of our circumstances to what you're doing around us and remember the things you've done in the past. So that we know even in the midst of terrible circumstances, you are still on the throne. Lord, I thank you for stories like this that have been preserved for so long that we can get an insight into the way that you work. Lord, let us take comfort in stories of this nature. And when we doubt, not if, but when, Lord, help us to carry those doubts and to move forward in a way that ultimately brings us back to you. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Amen. Now, before you jump out, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you jump out, uh, just a couple quick announcements uh, to wrap up. Uh, first of all, we have the Old Savannah City Mission uh, this upcoming Saturday. We need people to help supply food for it. And are we actually, we're actually, ser- and we are actually serving uh, the food to the people. And so it would be great if you can come and help with that. Um, and second of all, we are going to be starting up uh, small groups or fall small groups uh, starting next Sunday. Uh, they're going to be four o'clock. They're going to be outside so we can distance and not worry about being um, inside on each other. Uh, and those are going to be taking place at, uh, uh, at my home in the backyard. And we're going to uh, be sending out some emails, putting posts up on social media. Um, so be looking for that, more details. But that's going to be starting um, next week. So Old Savannah City Mission on Saturday, need your help, and then we're starting small groups uh, next weekend. So thank you all for coming out. Uh, I'm looking forward uh, to seeing you again next week as we continue on in our Sunday School series.